following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Frank, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Riddle me this, Keith Break. Riddle me that. Who's afraid of the big black bat? I don't know anything about that. Oh, I don't have anything else. Okay. Uh, that's about as good as my uh, rhyming is going to go today. Well, you can really hang your hat on that. I could. I could hang my hat on that. Or swing it like a 10-pound bat. I'm not going to rat you out that you've run out of words to rhyme. I know. So I had to, had to regurgitate. That being said... Um, Riddle me this, though, when you get an Arnold, a Wild Buck, and a Huzzy, what do you get? Arnold, Wild Buck, and a Huzzy. Sounds like a half-baked Schwarzenegger vehicle. Mm, I was going to say a Buck's win, but uh, that's, that all too. <laughs> that's all I got. I don't know. <laughs> I like to talk things. You know, you're pop, pop culture, McCulture. Uh, I do have an apology I'm going to give uh, later. Uh, you know, I don't give those. You know that. Mm-hmm. You, I don't. I don't do that. I, I got to be honest. I don't even think it's it's worthy of one. But um, uh, the the old sidekick uh, reached out to me because he was convinced that if Chattanooga would have played Robert Riddle the last two years, that they would have been not just Southern Conference champions, but maybe national champions. And he, I told him he was crazy because obviously Robert, in all honesty, had a kind of horrific shoulder injury. Yeah, it's kind of derailed it all uh, medically, not because he couldn't play, because obviously he had was on pace for a, a pretty good career down at Mercer. But now Gallagher is taking credit for William Riddle, and that really it was just the lineage uh, um, and all this, and that he's been the secret genius to know that the Riddle, that it's really, it, it's, it's his mind, there's three families. There's Brady, there's Manning, there's Riddles. And then uh, that, that's what it should go, and that he secretly had called this and is deserving of me to give him an on-air apology because I kept telling him that, that I just don't think Robert Riddle's going to play because of the injury and that he's not there. And I remember he actually made in one of our pregame Chats, Rusty Wright, pretty incredulous because he kept asking uh, for the second in a row about, is, are we going to see Robert Riddle because you have the bad quarterback play? Now, he didn't word it that way. He didn't flat out, you know, oh, your quarterback stink or whatever, but he kept doing that. So he has been convinced that um, the Riddle family, and certainly William Riddle, looked pretty good um, in Saturday's game and is going to get the start according to Monday's coaches show from George Corals. Now, I think um, – Riddle impressed me with the fact, uh, just kind of staying in there, staying in the pocket, making things happen, um, mm. taking a hit. That was the big thing. When he yes. threw that touchdown pass to Will Huzzy, helmet comes I mean, he took a legit shot and was able to come back. And even the ball to uh, Tommy Witten, he took a shot too. So his durability and willing to take a hit to make a throw was impressive. That's not truly durability necessarily. It's just an understanding of what it takes to get your guy the ball. That's the big difference. That's what you need from your quarterback is just an understanding of this is where my receiver's leverage is. This is what my receiver's going to give me. This is what the defense is giving me. If I do X, I can take Y, and we can move the ball Z yards and score touchdowns. And 
Riddle did that as well as, honestly, anybody that's taken snaps for the Bucks at QB this season. Uh, I, I was really impressed with just his poise. He looked like a guy that's been thrown in the deep end before. He looked like a guy that's played in front of crowds, honestly, bigger than the one that he had in, a, in his first Division One serious work. I mean, he obviously he played um, a little bit in the fourth quarter against Mercer, but he never played that kind of extended run in college football before, and it didn't phase him one iota. And the fact that he had big dudes bearing down on him that were going to hit him really hard didn't phase him at all. He didn't try to tuck and run. He didn't try to evade the rush because he knew when the rush comes, I have an opening behind it. I'm going to take what the defense has given me, and we're going to make a play out of it. And that's how he gets the ball to Huzzy, who had a man draped all over him. It's how he gets the ball to Winton down the field. Uh, just his composure, his understanding of all the moving parts was really impressive for a redshirt freshman quarterback making his first serious appearance in college football where he was part of the game plan. Uh, the guy was great. And George Quarles on Monday at his press conference kind of hemmed and hawed. He was very cautious about saying that Rydell could come back maybe the last couple of games, but it's kind of up in the air. Um, I would be content, based on what we saw on Saturday, to roll with William Riddle the rest of the season if it's necessary. Well, one, obviously the health will, will play a, a part in that. You know, it's projected four weeks, but is it really four weeks? Is it not? The other thing is, you know, I even talked to, to Rydell, and I was like, you know, are you thinking about it? And he was like, well, you know, I've only played in like seven quarters. If I'm, you know, if the team, if we're out of choices and the team needs me, I can hobble out there. But, you know, there is a part of me that thinks maybe I just need to let my body heal because the shoulder's still not 100% on top of right. the knee. And the other thing I laughed, I said, well, you know, if they rattle off four or five in a row, you got no shot anyways, right? And he kind of laughed. He said, if we went four or five in a row, I'll sit on the sideline. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, you've got that uh, going as well. And that was actually before the Wofford game. We had we had kind of joked about that. So, uh, I, I think he, right now is your best choice. I mean, Timmy Dorsey had the, the concussion pretty severe. I don't even think he's going to be available this week. So, depending, you know, it's probably going to be Riddle again. If Riddle kind of gets going, you know, um, and it was a tough task because, obviously, uh, we're going to get into the chat breakdown uh, on Thursday, and chat does uh, lead the league in sacks. So, you know, he's, he's going to have some pressure. We know that for sure. But I think it's it's good to get a full week under the belt. Kind of kind of got the test, right? You know, he was able to, to do some read options as well, run the full gamut. You know, certainly a couple checks. He said he got them in the right checks. Yeah, um, it certainly didn't feel like they limited the playbook as much as maybe you would think for your fifth quarterback of the year. Uh, it felt like he was pretty comfortable doing all of it. And the thing, and I think you talked about this yesterday off the podcast, is he was throwing guys open. Like he was anticipating when a receiver's going to make his cut, when, when his route is going to change to the point where, okay, this is – the inflection point where the guy's going to be open for about a second. If I get the ball there on time, he can make a play. And some quarterbacks read that too late. They wait till after the cut, and then the receiver's never open. Um, Riddle threw to the cut, or to the point where the cut was going to lead, and led his receivers into a spot where they could catch the ball, make plays. That's why you saw the Huzzy one-handed grab. That's why you saw the Winton grab. That's why you saw the Huzzy touchdown. Um, Fr- just, Frierson, too, was a player. Frierson he threw him another one. Yes. 100%. And a great catch by Biscuits, too. Um, I, uh, yeah, this is what you're looking for. I mean, is he going to win a 100-meter dash? No. 
Is he the most athletic, most supreme, you know, jump out of the gym athlete in the universe? No. But he gets the ball to the receivers. He legitimizes your passing attack. And I think this is this is the moment where you stick with Riddle, and, and especially if he has a great game on Saturday, because I don't see any reason why he shouldn't get the start on Saturday at Chattanooga. Uh, I would probably say this is this is the moment that you need. You have found somebody that you need to move forward with. Running game a big factor in what helped out in that as well, because it wasn't just a hey, run, no gain, you know, throw in second, third, and long. Everybody's pinning their ears back. And I did have some third and longs, and, and again, for my liking, too many of them. But they converted 7 to 13 on third down. One of them, a third and 22, where Bryce Nerby was, went, um, you know, unhuman and superhuman, I guess, and leapfrogged a, a grown person. And, you know, and the other thing is the run game got going. The line started to, to figure it out. They picked up – now they missed one or two, and I think the running back missed one. But they were much better in protection. Yes. And that is a very good Wofford defensive front. And so is it as good as Chattanooga? Probably not, but it's not that far behind. And ETSU put up some numbers against Wofford that not many teams have been able to do. So it was a great kind of all around because the run game was there, the pass game was there, the protections were there. Yes. And I also thought the run game got better because – the offensive line was not put on an island and said, do this yourself, told to do this yourself. The tight ends got involved in the block, in the, in the run blocking game in a big way. I thought um, the running backs got involved. Trey Foster seals the left edge on Irby's 56-yard house call, and that touchdown doesn't happen if Foster doesn't pick up the linebacker. So those sorts of things are going to make your run game better because they make you more explosive. And that is a product partly of just an emphasis on it, but also running out of 21 personnel, running out of 22 personnel, even throwing out of 21 personnel, where you have one running back that maybe flares out and one running back that sits home and blocks, those more, they're not quite, I, would, I don't know that I would necessarily call them max protection sets, but they're, they're close to that. That allows your offense to do a lot of things to clear the way for your skill guys to be skillful or your ball skill guys to be skillful. Uh, And that allows your offense to be more explosive. That's why you hit the big plays. And when ETSU really bought into that and showed it and did it with enthusiasm and passion, that's when you saw this team find an extra gear offensively that they have not had all season. This was a to- this looked like a totally different offense with Riddle in charge. I mean, even before Riddle with, with Eller, but still, when he t- when he came in, just everything seemed to click. Yeah, and I thought you know the Wild Buck was a nice little change of pace, and and yes, uh, you know Boris eventually is going to have to hand it off or do something else with it. But for what it was put in two three days prior, mm-hmm. it served its purpose. Plus, it was a true replay that they actually scored the touchdown on where he walked in. Untouched. They said on all the replays, uh, he was correct in. There were a lot of times they called the, the old quarterback follow um, where he fakes and then follows right behind where that got kind of blown up. And I'm sure people are like, oh, I should have handed it off. But that, those actually weren't replays. So talking to Coach uh, Gardner about that, I actually talked to Coach Quarles last night off air about it. Yeah. He was able to break it down and say, you know, there, there weren't that many replays because, again, he's done it, but the other guys hadn't done it. So you got to kind of kind of ease into that. So there'll be, I'm sure, some different looks into that. I'm sure they'll mix it in. I loved it around the goal line. Um, I don't know if, if, if 
if Riddle's doing a nice job, unless it's a short, you know, third and short, third and two situation where they want to go with that, I'm not sure how much of the middle of the field I would do. They're not asking me, so we'll, we'll see. But I do love it inside the red zone. I do like it in short yard situation because you get an extra numbers uh, game involved. And I'm 100% with you there. And, and honestly, I mean, part of that is Borish has a really good vision and anticipation, and he keeps his legs turning so that when you get him in a pile situation, um, he's going to keep that pile moving forward. If his offensive lineman get behind him and push, you can do like the rugging ball and get a few extra yards out of it, maybe get over, get over the goal line out of it. Um, I don't think he is ETSU's fastest or second fastest running back in the open field. So I, I'd like to see him run it in the red zone. Um, but outside the 20, I, I think you're right, unless it's just a really specific contextual situation, I would probably stay away from it. I want to know when they're going to throw the pass. Because there is one pass play in that Wildcat package. When are you going to do it? When do you break it out? I think you break it out at the goal line. You do like the, It's like a running back pass. You just break it out at the goal line one time, catch a team unawares, and you throw a touchdown. And that could change the complexion of the game. As we saw with an unexpected touchdown from Sheldon Arnold on Saturday. And I want to transition to talk about the defense right now because Sheldon Arnold is an absolute freaking baller. And this guy has been playing so hard and so well. Chris Hope beside him has been really, really good, too. First, second, or third guy to every football, it feels like. Uh, Chris Hope is. And just, I don't know, like he's got a magnet in his pads. Just finds the football. And I'm blown away by the safety play ETSU has gotten, both in coverage and in the box in the run game. Uh, these two guys really have added something, I think, to ETSU's defense. And are difference makers for this group. And in a way, we thought they could be, but also we thought, well, Arnold could have a breakout season. I don't think anybody expected five takeaways in three games. Chris Hope could have a really good season. I don't think anybody expected the production they've gotten from Hope over the last three weeks. Uh, this has been a really pleasant surprise on the back end of the defense. Uh, the corners are still, they were still a little up and down, but I'm hoping for more confidence from them. For, from, from having played that game and having not really given up a ton of big pass plays until the game was already well in hand. Uh, and, you know, okay, yeah, you give up a couple right at the end, the C-Lee and all that. But um, I was just really thrilled overall with nine of the 11 spots on the defense, and I was pleased with the other two for ETSU. Um, I, I still think there's more work to be done, more growth to be done. And these are cornerbacks that at any other program are probably on scout team. Like there are guys that are just getting a chance to get acclimated to the college football lifestyle. You know, they're still drinking from the fire hose, but they're not being asked to go in the deep end and swim with the sharks like they have been. Uh, and so maybe a little bit more confidence for Mike Jenkins Jr., a little bit more confidence for Khalil Anderson, a little more confidence for Javon Henderson helps this team play a little bit better in pass coverage over the course of the rest of the year. And they're getting so many valuable reps, right? People oh, 100%. No, you know, you usually don't get that. And what you get when you get a freshman, especially Mike Jenkins, who was guarding high school guys last year, uh, and whether it's Javon Henderson or Cleo Anderson, the redshirt freshmen, like they're just trying to, you know, get up to the speed and just figure it out. And if you get Robert McNeil back, which they hope to do, that's another freshman in the mix how that could look and how it could be so much better years going forward because they're getting this time now. That just means you're getting growing pains now. Yes, I get that. But 
you give guys, you know, oh, they're getting three, four games, you know, the minimum is a freshman or whatever, these guys are already going to have a full season under their belt, right? So next year I'm expecting them to be even better. And in college football, they stay for three and four years. You're talking three, four-year starters. We all know how much better those guys know. They understand everything. Plus, yep. they'll be in a league. They'll know different receivers, blah, blah, blah. But there are a lot of good things coming out of this. I hope they continue to grow because I thought they did some good things uh, coming up. And they're going to be tested because the receiving core for the Chattanooga Mocs with their quarterback play, Chase Artropius, we'll talk about on Thursday. Obviously a step up from what they've seen at Wofford. Not quite – none of those guys are tight James, but the problem is – they have multiple guys yes. uh, that they can throw to as opposed to just one in, in Ty James because Harper was virtually null and void in the pass game. Uh, after a couple of fumbles, he was null and void pretty much the whole offense. But they will definitely be tested the week coming up. I was excited, too, for Jalen George. And you can tell how people feel about a guy when other people celebrate somebody doing something special. When he got the sack, you saw everybody explode. Max Evans has not been able to shut up about Jalen George since March. They love this guy. In that gr- in that room, they absolutely love what Jalen has brought. And uh, you've seen, I saw last week, the double teams that he was drawing and the way that he was able to thrive in his role in this defensive scheme paved the way for other guys to have success. And the opportunity for him to get after the quarterback and make a play like that by himself I thought was awesome. It was super rewarding for him. Um, It was rewarding to watch him turn that corner and get that moment because I think this this is – that's the next step, right? I mean, you've been in a spot where you've had a couple opportunities, you've made some good plays, but you haven't made the splash play, the solo sack yet. This time he has. Now he has. What does he do with that? I think Jalen George, the only way uh, forward for him is, is up. The, the, there is nowhere to go but up with Jalen George. He is going to be um, a spectacular player for ETSU. And I think Jenkins will be, too. I think his length and his speed will, will come to the fore. It's just, like I said, this is a guy that probably is getting thrown into the fire well before he should. Uh, this Well before he's ready, he should be having fun and not worrying about game plans all that much, nearly as much as he as he has to right now because he is the guy at corner. Um, Jalen George may be kind of the same way, but also at the same time, he, he seems like he's a little ahead of the other freshmen for ETSU, and that is usually a good sign for a guy's career. Yeah, and a true freshman, think about that, because he came in in January. Right. And so he's still in his first, you know, fall or, or spring and fall, so he's still a true freshman. Think about if he can get 20 more pounds on him. What kind of an animal? What are we going to do, about 275, 280 at that point? They get 20 more pounds on him? If he still has the same explosiveness, he's an NFL 3-4 defense fit. I mean, it's, it's, I mean he, he's he, at that size, he'd be, he'd be phenomenal. So, I mean, again, it was, it was really good to see him. I talked to Zach Borish after he got done uh, in the Monday presser because he's on the pump block team. Yes, he is. And I asked him, did he have any pride that Trey Foster, running back, finally got one? As a, well, it really, technically, it's just been Teddy Wilson and the rest of the team. But uh, Trey Foster was able to get one, and he talked about how excited he was because he thought Trey had one last week, and he had got a couple in practice and was really excited for Trey because he said the one thing about Trey is he goes full bore all the time and sometimes to a detriment because he ends up hurting himself. Um, 
the elbow injury Jackson State was because he didn't really need to pull back and hit somebody. But, you know, Trey Foster does full speed. He pulls back and tries to hit somebody and got sent for 22 guys. So he's one of those guys that just plays so hard. And he's such a team guy because he was the projected number two running back. And it's fallen all the way to now he's learning the H-back. As you mentioned, he uh, sets the edge uh, on, a, on a touchdown run for Bryce Nerby. He's on special teams. But the special teams, it, it was amazing. And I won't oh, – because Boris really gave away some inside trade secrets that I, I will not give away. But it was interesting to hear just how excited he is to be on the punt team, how they kind of work the together. Guys are fighting over the reps yes, on the punt Yes, which on is unbelievable. Block. Who – I've never heard of anybody trying to – we want to be on the punt block team. Like, I want to be on that. And then listening to Coach Corals, like, you know, in today's game, a lot of those punts are high hangers. It's tough to get a return. So, you know, we may roll the dice more on punt block than some because it's tough to set up returns nowadays. So, um, that that's interesting because guys are, you know, kicking to spots and corners and punters are better and hang times and all that. But just trying to flip it. And then um, I said, well, are you worried about the – the fake and coaches. Well, yeah, some, somebody's going to try it. He goes, but we do have, and that's what Boris said. You know, my job is I'm looking at the who's the, besides the Gunners, who's the next eligible receiver, who's the guy I got to guard, and then I do that. But he was like, man, it's fun because every time I'm on the punt block team, you know, and they're going for it. Like I'm watching my guy, but same token, I'm like, hey, we could get one, and then and then I got another one. So it's just fun to hear guys talk about something that a lot of teams probably never even talk about or discuss. You know, the, the, the punt return team, punt block team, whatever you want to call it. Yes, ETSU is second in the country in punt blocks. Uh, New Hampshire is the only team with more. They have five. And we talked about them last week after Mercer, so they didn't get one. I think they were on their bye, or they just didn't get one this week. Um, but they are those, those pretty good special teams at ETSU's punt unit with Brackett, who had a couple of rough ones. I think he had like a just, he just shanked it, um, his first real miss hit of the year. And then, uh, but with Brackett and, and you know, that coverage unit and then the punt block unit and ETSU's punt teams, which are coached, I believe, primarily by Kurt Garner and Austin Gatewood, have been fantastic. Yeah, and, and Boris talked about sort of their relationship with Coach, Coach Gardner, who does more, I think, of the punt block team, and I think Gatewood does more of the return, if you look at it that way. But when those guys come off, he basically said that, you know, those guys will go to Coach Gardner and they'll say, you know, here's what happened, so-so to that, so-so to that. And then they'll – the guys may suggest, Coach, can we do this or we do that? Or Coach Gardner will say, hey, he's doing that, let's do this. And the adjustments they're making on the fly on the punt block team, I think is something you don't see a lot of. And so it's just amazing that they take such great pride in it. That's like playing, that's like playing backyard football. It does feel a little it street has ball. It a little bit of that backyard football feel to it. I love that. Yeah, you know, hey, we're, instead of, you know, you go here and I'm going to curl around or, or this guy was blocking down this time, let's go. But I'm just – I'm amazed that a lot of the teams that spread out that have given ETSU enough runners to go in there. At know, some point you have to max protect, right? Or cut down splits or something. I, I don't. They're just giving a lot of lot of leeway. Or now, the, the, the try to run side, some fakes. Yeah, the, I'd say the flip side of that is if you run max protect, then you give potentially Will Huzzy uh, running lanes, all mm-hmm. kinds of room to run to hurt you because you're holding everybody back to try to guard against the wall. All right. Good win, uh, but he got turned the page. 
uh, ETSU Chattanooga. We'll talk about that on Thursday. You want to talk some Southern Conference football? Let's do it. six in a minute, and clearly I'm going to take a loss with Mercer because I can't pick Chat. But as I said, Chattanooga was a smart play. Um, They were just better. I think they're better in a lot of facets. I mean, I didn't think they would hold Mercer in negative yards. But let's start with – I think we – what do you want to start with, Silvershenko, or you want to start with Mercer-Chat? You you, you want to work reverse order uh, or stop – you want to start with the best game, which was Sanford-Furman or – Oh, wait, 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 how you want to let's, do this? Let's start with uh, – you know, let's save the best for last. Let's start with the military classic of the South, shall we? Yeah, and, again, I, I enjoyed um, – talked to Brian Giffen uh, yesterday for quite a bit. Who's the new play-by-play voice of the Citadel. Was at Kennesaw State? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, newly escaped from Kennesaw. And um, he congratulates – sent me a message, hey, congratulations on the win. I'm, I'm trying to remember what that feels like. And I was, <laughs> I was like, ah, I said Citadel played better, and he dropped the greatest line that I, I've heard in a while. He goes, yeah, we, we did. I mean, you know, we, we did have our first lead uh, in the third quarter of our seventh game. And I had to let that sit for a second. Ouch. And then I sent back, I, I said, I'm sorry, that was your first lead ever in seven games? And he was like, correct. Yeah. I, said, I said, you never got on the board first. He was like, no, no. Our first lead was in the third quarter of our seventh game. So no matter how bad you think your season is, um, and he did say, hey, last week they played pretty good. Uh, turnovers in the red zone, but they were able to move it against Furman. They did some good things against VMI. It's clearly a work in progress. Yep. And then it was like a dot, 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 slow work in progress. <laughs> and it probably is going to be for Marie Straighten. But I'll give them, you know, again, I've said this a lot about all the military schools, whether you're talking Army, Navy, Air Force, you're talking uh, VMI, Citadel. You get a situation where those kids have it ingrained to them to fight to the very end, no matter the – so they always keep grinding. 
And what happens is if you start to see some success, all that other grinding starts to kind of get going. So the Citadel's starting to look, now again, not result-oriented, but if you watch them and you watch them be able to move the football against Furman, they, they are slowly improving that they could be a hard out towards the end of the season here, and that's not good news for some folks. Yeah. Um, having said that, VMI's offense surprisingly efficient and very efficient. Hunter Rice, 18 carries for a buck 11 and two TDs. His longest run was 19 yards. I, that's steady, consistent, and painful if you're the Citadel. Um, Ironside was 19 of 28 for 166. He didn't throw a touchdown, but he didn't need to. Uh, they were really solid. They got the job done. And this VMI, if you had told me at the beginning of the season that VMI was going to win three games, I would have told you that they should be carrying Danny Rocco off the field and Charleston on their shoulders. I don't know if they actually did that, but this team has reason to believe that it's going somewhere now. And they might not win another game the rest of the year. I don't know if they will. I don't think they will uh, because the, the schedule considerably, considerably stiffens up for the key nets. They've got Chattanooga. They've got um, Sanford this week. Unless the Bulldogs lay an egg, I would expect Sanford to win that one. Then it's Chattanooga. Then it's here. Then it's at Furman. And then it's Western Carolina. Oh, yes, yes. And that's so, I mean, point. that's that last two weeks especially is going to get rough. But – uh, they've been given a reason to believe that the program has something to build on. And honestly, at VMI in year one, after everything that they lost, after everything that went wrong last year for them, that's enough to, for me to say that VMI accomplished what it needed to accomplish with the 2023 season already and is playing with house money the rest of the way. So we'll see how they do. But, yeah, the Citadel is clearly very much a work in progress. They are very much a square one team. And Maurice Strait is going to have his work cut out for him, trying to get guys in there and find the right guys to build this into something that can be competitive. If the Citadel has not won until Veterans Day, how fitting would it be that their best chance to win Veterans Day is Wofford? You could have two winless teams where something's got to give in Charleston, South Carolina at 2 p.m. Will it be a situation where Veterans Day is where the Citadel uh, turns the corner uh, before maybe Wofford does to, to pick up a win. But you look at some of the Citadel's numbers again. They got in a red zone. They were three for three this time. Now, again, just one touchdown, a couple of field goals. But this game is about as tight as a game you could get it. 313 to 282 uh, advantage VMI uh, as far as yards go. But 65 plays to 63, five-minute time of possession, uh, give or take for, or maybe it was like two and a half, three minutes, whatever it was, uh, the Citadel over VMI. Penalties kind of hurt VMI. They had a lot. They were 8 for 80. But look on third down. That was the one thing, you know, that's where Citadel's getting a little bit more Citadel-like. 6 of 15, that's much better than what they've been doing. They've been slowly improving and keeping drives going. Yep. Where early this year, they just they couldn't get anything going on a drive. So, I think Danny Rocco, give him credit. I think that's an outstanding job that he has done. As you mentioned, the three wins. I think Maury Strayton's starting to get his guys – to play better football, still work in progress. I get it, but they're, if you saw them earlier in the year, excuse me, compared to the last two games, they, yep. they've really done a nice job. So, uh, And then Citadel get, gets a, a bye week. We'll talk about next week's games, but you already mentioned for VMI, it certainly gets a, a tougher stretch with Sanford and the rest of their schedule. Yes, as Outcast once said, uh, from this point on, it only gets rougher. 
Sanford Furman, that was a very rough end to the first half for Sanford. That's really the difference in the football game is Furman went down the field, um, kicked a field goal, got held at the, t- at, the, at the edge of the red zone on a long drive, 13-79, 6-46. Sanford gets to the 45, turns it over on downs. Furman gets the ball at their own 45, nine-play, 50-yard drive in 64 seconds to score a touchdown. And at that point, they go up 17-7. to And it was uh, – Furman had the lead the rest of the way all through the second half. Yes, Sanford scored on, I believe, their first possession out of halftime. But Furman had the game in the grasp at that point uh, and, and were really able to put the clamps down on the Bulldogs defensively, held them to two touchdowns in the second half when they were probably trying to go a lot faster. It just didn't work. So Furman's defense, to me, is what's going to win them football games. I think their offense is okay. Um, Huff is a, a he he plays his butt off. I think he makes mostly good decisions, but they will make mistakes. Right? They will have a fumble here. They'll throw a pick there. Uh, there will be a miscue here. There's just somebody not linked up, somebody not on the right wavelength on, on, on running a route at a critical spot. That they, they will do those things, but their defense is able to bail them out of a lot of that stuff. And when they need the ground game to get going, they can get it going with Dominic Roberto. So this Furman team just plays old-fashioned complementary football. I think the fact that they're winning a lot of close games is kind of deceptive as to their quality. But that's just the way Furman plays, is they play the game in a very methodical way, in an old-school complementary football way. And that gives teams a chance that or gives teams a score and gives outsiders a score that makes you think, oh, wow, they were actually, this game was really close. Surprised they didn't blow this team out. Surprised they didn't blah, blah, blah. When in actuality, Furman had control of the game the whole time. That's just who they are. Nine sacks. Michael Hires was sacked nine times. He needs to, he needs to get the ball out. L- look, I know that Hires has a better arm going down the field than a lot of quarterbacks that have come through Sanford over the years. But the ball needs to come out. That, that's got to be a scheme adjustment, I think, is, hey, let's find the quick hitters, let's find the slants, let's find the, the bubble screens, the stuff that made Sanford successful so that you get those guys creeping up to the line of scrimmage a little bit closer, a little bit closer, and then you hit them over the top. Um, I, I just think there's got to be something done with Sanford, or with, the, with Sanford's offense to make them go better. And to my point on Furman, Furman only beat Citadel 28-14, but they, you never got the sense that they didn't have control of that game. I think they were up 28 nothing at one point and then kind of just backed off. Yeah, the defensive numbers for Furman continue to impress. Held Sanford to 46 yards rushing. Um, I mean, Sanford ran 79 plays and averaged 4.3 yards. And for a Sanford offense to get 80 plays, give or take, four yep. yards, not, not good, not what they're used to. But, again, it's the the sacks, the defense. Um, the other odd thing was Quincy Crittenden was in on the last play, and it was uh, two plays after a big sack by Hires. I don't know if that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, sacked on second down, Hires played third down, but did not play the fourth down on the last play. So I don't know if that's just a, all right, we're tapping out and letting the, uh, the young kid come in and take a hit on fourth and 24, or if something I – I didn't see anything, but I – I meant to go back and try to watch and see if there was uh, something to pick up 
on there because if Hires is out, and not that Crittenden is, uh, uh, you know, chopped liver back there, but certainly you would imagine that would be a big drop. In there is a life. considerable drop right, between sure. Hires and Crittenden. As we saw last year in the, in the quarterfinals yeah. at Fargo Dome because Hires came out there and they were able to hit big chunks. But Crittenden was a mess in the first half. So There you go. Yeah. All right. Uh, so Furman, Furman did Furman things, and they set up the big showdown in Western Carolina, which we'll talk about on Thursday. A lot to talk about there. And then the final game was uh, Chattanooga setting the school record with five field goals. They've attempted 21 field goals this year. They're 18 of 21 on field goals. And they've had two different field goal kickers kick for whatever reason. Because um, the one guy got tired. I, apparently. I mean, I've only missed three combined, so it's not like somebody, you know, is just shanking them left and right. But either way, they jumped out uh, with four field goals. It was 12 nothing at halftime. The ever-popular 12 nothing if you had it on your uh, – had it on the board. Uh, and then Ty James finally caught a nice diving. I don't know if you saw that. Carter Peavy threw a little fade route. I thought he overshot Ty James, but a fully stretched – Parallel to the ground, diving catch by Ty James. He's he got him on so the board. good, man. He's so freaking good. Like he does, I, you can tell that this guy came from a higher level and, and just needed an opportunity to get on the field and show what he could do. And this this is the kind of guy that that has made a name for themselves in FCS over decades, decades upon decades. Ty James is legit, and he is. Every bit as good as his numbers suggest he is. And he makes he makes extraordinary plays. He, he has made Carter Peavy look pretty good, even in situations where Peavy maybe hasn't thrown the perfect ball or Peavy hasn't done everything that you would ask the quarterback to do. James can make his quarterback better. A lot of times you talk about quarterbacks being the – Colin Cowher likes to call him the deodorant. Right. Sometimes they will. They will. Co- a good quarterback will cover up a lot of deficiencies in your team in other places. Um, but really, Ty James, I think, has helped PV as much as PV helps James. And those two have such great chemistry, and it's brought out the best in a guy who probably, as much as I want to, you know, toot Will Huzzy's horn, I, he's probably the best wide receiver in the conference right now. Oh, no. He might be the best wide. He might be the best wide receiver. Well, I don't know about best wide receiver in the country, but he could be in that conversation by the end of the year. It could be in the southeast. Uh, certainly in the southeast, I think he may be the best. Just, just has been phenomenal. He's a big play threat. He can get you steady chunks of yardage. You know, eight, ten, thirteen, and then he can hit you over the top. Uh, he's a man beater. He, um, he can crack through a zone. He does just so many things. You can't keep up with him. You just can't keep up with the guy. I don't know. He, he impressed me when we watched him here last week, and uh, he continued. He impressed me when I watched him with that touchdown catch with the toe drag swag at Crampton Bowl against North Alabama. I said, this guy could have a really good year, and he has, lo and behold. He's had a really good year and is going to continue to. But Chattanooga still slinging it. Artopius is moving the ball around. Uh, Jamoy Mays and has been was the workhorse for them on Saturday with nine catches for what 119 yards. Sam Phillips got involved. The thing with Chattanooga that bugs me is they haven't run the ball super great. And so I have a theory. No, I got. You have I, a theory. I, I, on this. I do. So watching the last game, and I actually asked uh, a couple defensive coaches for ETSU. 
what they've done in the past is the old school Mike Shanahan uh, zone out, kind of zone stretch where you're looking for the cutback lanes, right? And so take Terrell Davis and all those 2,000-yard backs they had. This year, because that's ran out of the pistol, this year because of Chase Artopius's ability to throw out of RPOs, you cannot run that. You have to run a different style. And so they're running a lot of RPOs. And Ford's best attribute is being able to put his foot in the ground, cut against the grain with people over-pursuing and breaking off big runs. He, he's not that he not that he's not running the ball like he was, but those lanes that he was able to come back and go are, are not gone. There. So I did get a – and that makes sense because I've watched enough tape but not smart enough to come up with that until they broke it down for me because I said I don't get – because last year Hutchinson – so I went and looked. Hutchinson was averaging throwing about three, pass, uh, three passes less than Artopius. On, on average right now, if you take seven games, what uh, Artopius has thrown seven games and Hutchinson threw 11. I think it was like 19 to 22 passes uh, per, excuse me, per contest. So I'm trying to figure out what the biggest difference is, and they believe, the coaching staff at TSU, is that Ford is limited in what they are doing in the run game as opposed to pistol, turnaround, handoff, stretch wide right. He's like, ooh, you're pursuing here, bam, cut back. Now with that, uh, the RPO, there's only one spot for him to go, and they're blocking the backside as a pass. So there's just, it's just not, it's just a different system. And so because of it, now sure. the other thing is they've lost three solid offensive linemen in the past two years. Two years ago, they lost the number one draft pick um, to the New England Patriots, you know, Cole Strange, and then the, the other two seniors that graduated were solid guys that had a look, didn't make it, but they've lost three guys that were invited to the NFL Combine in two years, and that certainly has to hurt, too. But the system, I think, is what is costing eleven point one. I can see that. That makes sense. And it also makes sense that Artopius has been able to move the ball consistently because of those RPOs, because he has been able to make reads and see his receivers open, and that's going to create some challenges for any defense, I think. Um, and, and furthermore, and, and we'll get into this a little bit more on Thursday, I expect this, this week – Chattanooga is going to throw the kitchen sink at ETSU. They're going to pull out all the stops because they cannot give the Bucks hope that they will win this game because if Chattanooga loses, their season is over. And think about this. They have three weeks left in their season because their remaining schedule is ETSU at VMI, Furman, bye week at Alabama. They have three weeks left in their season. And they lost an FCS non-conference game to North Alabama, and that loss is aging like milk in the sun. You know, I, I was hoping that at uh, UNA would be, you know, that this would be the year that they finally turned the corner, and they're back the same old tune. Um, but that loss isn't aging very well for Chattanooga. And your other loss is Western Carolina. You can kind of explain, you kind of hand wave that one away, say, okay. Western's a seed. They're, they might be a top four team in the country. Sure, you lost on a last-second field goal. We can live with that. Uh, but the, if you lose to North Alabama and ETSU and you're 7-3 and three against the FCS with those two losses on your resume and you don't have a win over – I mean, your best win is Furman, but look at – you don't really have a whole lot else to hang your hat on. It might be tough for them to get in the playoffs. 
So this is going to be a, this is a situation where I expect them to come out firing all, on all cylinders. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to try to take hope away from ETSU. So the Bucks need to be ready for the first snap for some kind of shot play, something gadgety. They're going to do something that's designed to create a big hole and a big play and score a touchdown in the first couple plays of the football game. They are going to throw the works at ETSU because next you've got VMI. And you can throw the ball on VMI. They can move the ball on, on the key nets. They're not going to be super worried about that one. The rivalry is one thing. Yeah, okay, we want to keep the rail. Yeah, that's nice and all that. But they are going to throw everything at, at the Bucks because they've got to have this one. They have to have They can't afford to let this game be, even be close, really. I'm going to save all my takes for Thursday. I know you are. I do want to give you the the, the stat of the day. Stat of the day, mm-hmm. stat of the day. Bap, bap. Ty James' worst performance this year. You want to guess who was it against? Um, Moorhead State? Nope. One more, and I'll, and I'll tell you real quick. One more. Go, go, go on, go on. Was it ETSU? What, his worst game? That was his best game. Ty James, Ty James. Um, worst game, worst game. Ty, Ty James' best game this year was ETSU. Um, Ole Miss. VMI. He had one catch for two yards. Really? Of course, they ran for 300-something, but he had one catch for I – was, I was like, you know what? Let me see where Ty James is, like, per game. Like, what? who is he exploded on? He had, like, 60 yards against Ole Miss. He had, you know, I think he had 40 against North Alabama, which they didn't play particularly well. But he had two. Yeah, yeah. Two yards. Yeah. Anyways, all right. I don't know why I was looking up the other yeah. stuff. All right. Um, no, you can't move the ball on VMI. I, I think it, it's it, – you have to have a more specific set of – of assets and matchups to move the ball on ETSU. You will not be able to run on the Bucks. The best games of the week, or at least the ones these two dorks want to watch. Nerd! It's the pick six. You pick that up all by yourself. All right, week seven recap. Uh, VMI at the Citadel. We both picked the Keydats. Ding. Uh, 40-yard line, Furman and Sanford. We both picked the Paladins. Ding. Youngstown State at South Dakota. You pick the Yotes, I pick the Gwins. Yotes walk it off on a field goal as time expires. Let's go, baby. In the Dakota Dome, and USD is in the top ten in the national polls, all of them. Uh, North Dakota State at North Dakota, a stunning blowout. UND massacres North Dakota State. We both take the L there. Well, the opening kick, North Dakota goes to the house. But, again, we both touted the defense of North Dakota and the big playability, and, again, they made big plays. They are, that's the one probably most underrated unit maybe in the country, I think, is North Dakota's defensive unit. I'd agree with that. If you just said, I think they've always it, been that way. I, if you, you look at anybody and say name the top 5, 10, 15 defenses in the country, nobody's going to come up with North Dakota. But if you go look at the numbers, the stats, the takeaways, the yard, it is unbelievable how great they've been this this season. They've been really good. And North Dakota State has some soul-searching to do, especially along the line of scrimmage. Offensive line, defensive line, especially defensive line, need to be a lot better going forward for NDSU if they want to get back on the horse because right now uh, they're not even close to a seeded team, I don't think. Uh, 10-yard line, Chattanooga Mercer. I picked the Mocs. You picked the Bears because your ethos is nothing if not consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I take the win. You take the loss. Montana and Idaho, I said the Vandals are going to win by 28. You said the Vandals are going to win by 17. And uh, I believe they lost by three. We couldn't have been more wrong, Jerry. <laughs>
Of course, Montana is the team that they show up. Montana shows up for the game at the Kibbe Dome. Of course they do. They have to show up for the Stein. I whatever. Fine. If Montana finally figured it out and is good and is going to stop struggling to put away Utah Tech, then okay, let's ride with Montana. But I still think Idaho's good. They just played terrible to start the game. They made so many mistakes, unforced errors. Um, McCoy and his receivers were not on the same page. Idaho will be fine. They will be back after their bye. They have Montana State, and then it's easy street by comparison. Uh, So they should be perfectly fine. I think there's still a team that's going to be in the top eight at the end of it all. Um, Extra point, I picked Wagner at St. Francis, and that did not happen. I actually want to check the score here because – It was a blowout. Yeah, Massey said Wagner – 17 or something, right? Yeah, it was was, was St. Francis by 17, and St. Francis won by 24. Okay, sure, whatever. Fine. Just keep winning trophies, I guess. Keep winning games and winning NEC championships. Whatever, dude. God. Uh, And then uh, North Carolina beat Miami by uh, 10. Yes. So that did not happen for you. So both 3-3 and this week. You're 24-20. and I'm 30-15. and Nah, I'm okay. I'm right where I want to be. Right where I want to be. You're above 500, which is more than a lot of people can ask in this sort of thing at this time of the year. Well, next week or next week? Thursday. Then we're doing this Thursday. 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 We're going to talk ETSU Chattanooga, the rail rivalry. We'll also be talking a lot of purple. Yeah. Do I need to wear purple that day? Oh, Lord. Nobody wears purple. I have a couple purple shirts. You probably do. I do. I have a lot of different colors in my wardrobe. Because I lived in a time where that didn't matter once. That was a few pounds ago, though. <laughs> That's it for the show today. It's the Jay and Keith Show, and it's exclusively on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Nobody likes for Oh, you got to be kidding me.